Welcome to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. I am joined today by Chris Adamson, who is currently the Vice Principal of Innisfail High School and has been there for the past two and a half years. But prior to that, he started as a teacher and then a Vice Principal and completed his M.Ed. and became Principal while up in Fort Vermilion School Division. A native Albertan, born in Calgary, Chris has spent some time in Ottawa as well, so he has a vast perspective on provincial education, and so we're really excited to have him join us today. Hi, Chris. Hi, thank you. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about Innisfail High School. So, Innisfail High School is part of the Chinooks Edge Edge School Division. Um, We're about 20 minutes south of Red Deer. Um, We're a grade 9 to 12 school, and we have about 325 students. 18 teachers, and that includes the principal and myself. Um, like many other high schools, Innisfil High is involved in high school redesign. So that gives us some scheduling flexibility um, and increased student self-direction, specifically when students have that flex block once a day for one hour. And it's that flex block that I'm going to talk about a little bit more later on because that helped us move towards a collaborative response uh, a bit easier. So tell us a little bit then about how you came to learn about collaborative response. So my first experience with collaborative response was when I was in Fort Vermilion School Division. Um, I was a first year principal and we were at one of our leadership team meetings, which happened monthly. And Curtis came up for an afternoon and introduced um, CRM to us. So the division was spending some time in RTI and that was kind of our next step. And I remember sitting there for most of the afternoon Um, deep in thought and it probably seemed like I was off in space a little bit but I think Curtis probably realized that the wheels were spinning Um, so that was my first introduction to it and I learned pretty quickly um, that clever response was a really good way to make a difference for students and to help build teacher capacity and so how do you think implementing collaborative response at a high school is the same or is different from the elementary context Yeah, so at the K-9 school at Hillcrest, um, it did look, there are some things that are similar and and some things that are are definitely different than at at the high school, Um, especially when it comes to things like the implementation barriers, so the first um, steps you need to take, data and evidence, and there's a bit of difference as well with the continuum of supports, um, but there's definitely things in common as well. So at Hillcrest, um, the first barrier for me was how to embed time into the schedule. The the schedule I inherited um, didn't have any common planning time built into it. And at first glance, it was pretty overwhelming um, and it seemed impossible for me to to change the schedule to embed time because I always have been and I'm still very careful about scheduling time in the school day and not making it a lunchtime thing, an after school thing or before school thing um, because I think teachers are busy enough and we don't want it to be one more thing. I think it's our responsibility to carve out that time throughout the day. So once I realized all that, I realized that I had to start from scratch and basically change the whole schedule. And what I did is I made our collaborative team meetings the first thing that I that I scheduled and then everything else moved around that. So at the high school, one of the first things we schedule are diploma courses. At my K to nine school was our collaborative team meetings. And then um, everything else fell around that. And I ended up with 80 minutes a week of collab time for each team. So that was the first thing. But then at Innisfil High, embedding time wasn't the first challenge because of that flex block. So naturally that was a really good time for 
my teachers to meet. It just took some, some scheduling and some logistics um, that I needed to figure out. And so that wasn't a big deal. But what was sticking in my mind at the high school was really um, how to make teams. And I wanted to make sure that um, the teams were effective. So that was a big thing that I wanted to, to think about before I implemented it. Because at Hillcrest, the K-9 school, teams were pretty straightforward for me. It was K to, K to 3, 4 to 6, and then 7 to 9. But some things for sure that are in common between both, I guess, would be that the framework is is the same and the whole the whole purpose, the focus on collaborative structures and processes, data and evidence and the continuum of supports, all that is the same, but the data and the evidence and the continuum of supports looked different at in, in, in each context. And I think it will um, vary depending on what the school decides to focus on, which is kind of the beauty of CRM. There's a core, a core structure, but then you can change it to the context. So can you elaborate a little bit on the differences between the data and evidence that you used at the K to nine school versus the nine to 12 school? Yeah, for sure. So at the K to nine school, um, one of the things we focused on for data and evidence was Fontenot and Pinnell um, literacy testing. So we use that um, kind of as our benchmark and we used um, guided reading to make sure that students were, were improving. Um, that was our main data point at Hillcrest was, was literacy. We also focused on numeracy, but at that time when I was there, we didn't have um, an assessment really to target that. So we were going based on their, their classroom achievement, which was still um, a good a good tool to use. Now at the high school, what we use, um, we look at lots of different things and depending on the conversation, depending on the meeting, we will focus on one or the other. So the, one of the things we look at is overall success in the, in the class, so like their course grade. We also look at their attendance. We look at their independent reading level. We also, for our grade nines, um, we have MIPI data, which is a math assessment testing. Um, we use what they basically should have learned in grade eight to help us make decisions in grade nine. And what we're moving into that we haven't finalized yet, it's a work in progress, is we're going to have some social emotional evidence within our data sheet to help, to help staff make some decisions or to kind of know where students are at socially or emotionally. So again, quite a big difference um, between what we look at and it also depends on the school goals and sometimes the division goals as well. So you've talked a little bit about that flex time. Talk to me a little more about the collaborative structures and processes as they've been implemented at Innisfail High School. So the best way to describe the structures and processes at Innisfail High is a layered collaborative structure. And that's what I, that's the terminology I use when I talk to staff, other admin or anybody that asks about it. And what that involves is really three different levels, um, starting with collaborative team meetings, which happen monthly for teachers. Um, so they get an hour every month to have a, a typical collaborative team meeting. We follow common norms, the same agenda for every team um, for every month. And, but, and then we go through celebrations and talk about key issues. And towards the end of that, staff have about five or 10 minutes to flag students that they're still struggling with. They've tried tier one supports, tier two supports, and they're looking for, for a bit of extra help. And then that's when those students get kind of bumped to our next level of, of collaboration, which is something we call at Innisville High. Um, we call it a SWAT meeting. It stands for Student Wellness Action Team. Um, so what that is, it's a, it's a smaller, it's actually not a smaller group. It's a different group of people. So it involves both administrators, our inclusive ed coordinator, our career counselor, our RCMP school resource officer, and our family wellness um, person 
who we all get together every Monday. So this meeting happens weekly. And often the conversation is around students with social emotional needs, students that are at risk of graduating or, or not graduating, I should say. And sometimes things like attendance. So it's when teachers have kind of exhausted their list, their tier one, their tier two, and they're looking for extra help, we'll dive a bit deeper. Um, and it's a different group of people. And sometimes perspectives are a bit different. Now, after that, as needed, we have something called a case conference meeting. So that's when we feel as a school, we've exhausted our list and we need external support. So that's when we would reach out to division office. Um, sometimes we would invite parents, sometimes we would invite addiction counselors, RCMP and things like that. And those meetings um, don't happen very often, but when they do, they're, uh, they can be quite, have quite an impact on student success. So it's very layered and at each process, um, I have a really good diagram that I show people that shows that flagging happens so students can move up and down between the different layers of collaboration that they're not stuck in one or the other. They move up and down depending on, on their need. It seems to work really well. Can you talk a little bit about how you clarify the, the why behind the norms and, and how accountability to the norms is addressed in your team meetings? Yeah. So the why behind the norms um, using with the help of that Google video and how to, how to have productive teams, that was kind of, um, how I kickstarted it. So I, I made sure that norms were important and that teachers understood the norms because one of the things I heard when I went around and talked to staff before collaborative response started was the meetings can spiral out of control really quickly. We start talking about budget. We start talking about one kid, one family. So the norms, teachers um, respect the norms and they really appreciate the norms because it helps keep us on task and it makes the meeting more productive and just not a waste of people's time, which sometimes um, we've all been in those meetings where they go on and on and on and not much gets done. We wanted to make sure that our collaborative meetings were not one of those meetings. Um, so that's the why. And I think staff do appreciate that. So the norms are at the top of our agenda. We review them, all of them. There's about five of them, I think. And we pick one at every staff meeting to, to pay special attention to. And I actually asked one team member just to make a tick every time a norm is infringed upon. And then we kind of compete with the other teams and we try and do, that team tries to do better the next month than they did the previous month. So if you got five ticks today, you want to try and get four or three the next month. So it just kind of keeps it a little bit fun, but it keeps the norms fresh um, because otherwise they're just words on a page and sometimes they can get forgotten. So the way they're, they know that they're going to be held accountable um, at the beginning, it was mainly the facilitator, which was me holding people accountable to the norms. And in the development of the norms at, at our staff meeting, I made sure to explain, like I said earlier, that the norms are, it's all good to make them and they are important, but it's, what's even more important is what happens when someone isn't following it. So I made sure to explain to staff what that would look like and to not be offended that, um, to be offended if it happens to you. So what that means is if you are, if you are more than a couple of minutes late, or if you are leaving the circle of control, if you're spending too much time talking about a certain kid or a certain family that is an uncontrollable variable, um, I will remind you of the norms. And that's not to, that's not to question your teaching practice. That's not to, to insult you, but it's just to make sure the meeting's more productive and to respect everybody else's time. So I made sure to explain that to staff before our very first meeting. And yeah, it happened a couple times, but it hasn't happened since. And what happens now, um, and I think a big part of it is because someone, the team knows we're taking tick marks is that staff actually in a joking way, in a professional way, um, in a collegial way, they're holding each other accountable. And I haven't actually had to um, hold somebody accountable to a norm 
since my first year. So uh, it has to happen, I think, originally, but people quickly realize that the norms are there for a reason and it's for everybody's benefit. Chris, do you have formal roles in your meetings? I know that Jigsaw Learning has the, the formal role cards. What sort of roles exist around the table at a high school collaborative team meeting? So as the, as the administrator in the meeting, um, I'm the facilitator. So I'm the one that guides most of, most of the meeting. And I, I'd be the one prompting questions and asking those guiding questions that are like some of the questions that are provided on your website. Um, what does that look like? Tell me more about that. Help me understand what that looks like in your classroom, things like that. Um, I'm also usually the one to say, does anybody else have this key issue in their classroom? And that way we're, we're clustering students. And instead of talking about one student, we could talk about five, 10, or maybe even 20 and spend time talking about the key issue. So as the administrator, I'm usually the facilitator. The inclusive ed coordinator is also, um, she's our note taker. So she takes all the notes because I don't want this, the teachers involved in the meeting taking notes um, and, and it can be done differently for sure. I've seen some teachers take notes, but I want their full attention on what's going on in the meeting, the conversations. So our inclusive ed coordinator takes the notes. The important thing about that is she's also the one to continually update our continuum of supports. So when a teacher shares a new support, a new strategy, a new accommodation, whatever it is, um, at the end of the meeting, she will add that to our continuum. So it's always being updated. It's a living document, not something that just we print off once um, and that's it. So it's important for her to, to do that as well. What she also does is she helps facilitate the meeting as well. So if I'm not on my game 100% that day, um, she's really good at asking pointed questions as well um, to get staff um, down to the key issue. And I think that's an important facilitator job is to narrow down what the key issue actually is so that staff can start pinning supports to it. So the teachers um, are, they participate in the meeting, but besides the facilitator, um, which serves a few roles, kind of the interrupter, the one that holds people accountable, there's the note taker and the facilitator, and then teachers are engaged in the, in the discussion. We talked a little bit about the data and evidence that you're using at Innisfail High School, but how do you see that implemented in the context of the high school? Yeah, so at first, um, it was, it took some time to make an effective and useful data sheet because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't giving, giving teachers more work to do. I wanted them to be able to come to a collaborative team meeting and have the data, data ready and, and usable right away. So what I originally did is I pulled a bunch of information, all those data points from Dossier and from PowerSchool and made my sheet and I would update it um, every night before collaborative team meetings. Now, since um, I've been sharing some of this work with other administrators within Chinook's Edge School Division, um, Division Office Tech Department has actually helped out and they've made, they've basically created a sheet that gets updated every night and it includes all those data points that I talked about. So things like academics, attendance, independent literacy, the MIPI data, and then soon our social emotional data. So every night um, it gets refreshed and it's ready for our collaborative team meetings. And it's also really helpful because it's available to teachers all the time. So let's say we have a collaborative team meeting and two weeks later they wanna check in on how a certain student is doing or a group of students. With any of those different parameters, they can, they can look at that data sheet. And it's really helpful um, in our collaborative team meetings because I can sort it in a ton of different ways. If I wanna see our poorest attenders really quick, I can sort it that way. If I wanna see, um, the best attenders, the ones um, that have the highest reading level or the lowest reading level, I can sort it 
by course, by grade, by student last name. So it's really helpful in those meetings if we want to cluster students, which we often do, um, to, to hopefully give them the supports that they need. That sounds like you have a fantastic tech department to pull together for you. Yeah, it's been really helpful because it is time consuming um, on my end. So they've they've reduced the time commitment that I need to take quite a bit. So it's it's good because for sure. And I would ask the same question if I was a teacher, I would say, why are we doing this? It's already in power school. So I just I just make it easy um, and therefore it's useful and it gets used quite a bit. That's fantastic. So talk a little bit now about the continuous supports then at Innisfail High School. Right. So the continuous supports, um, and one thing I should have mentioned when I first introduced Collaborative Response to Innisfail High School, we introduced it in, in pieces. And collaborative team meetings was the first thing that I introduced. I then introduced the continuum supports shortly after. Um, and the way we did this is at a staff meeting, we, I basically followed um, Curtis's explanation of how to introduce this to, to staff. So we had two continuums that we wanted to build. We had one that was general academics. And the other one we built was on social emotional learning. The continuum supports for academics was quickly populated because that's what teachers are best at. Teachers are, pedagogy is, is what they do. So that pyramid was quickly populated, whereas the social emotional one, there was definitely some really good stuff on there. It just didn't have the same quantity. So that's a work in progress for our school. And we know that. Um, and it's, it's just good to know that that's where we're going. So we built that as a staff. We use it at every collaborative team meeting. It's also available to staff um, throughout the month when they're, when they're not in a meeting. So they can refer back to it. And, and it's a place to go if they're, if they're struggling throughout the month. And they don't have to wait for, for a collaborative team meeting. Talk to me a little bit about the, the teacher buy-in through, through the process of that development. Yeah, so sometimes teachers will ask, um, isn't this already done? Isn't this, like, doesn't Chinook's Edge Division have this already? And the answer is, yeah, most schools that are involved in collaborative response do have um, a continuum of supports, and our division does for things like literacy, um, numeracy, and social-emotional as well. But it, it is important for, for staff buy-in that we do create our own because the context is always really important. And we, we definitely use some other continuums as, as reference, or if we're all kind of having um, a blank at the same time, we'll say, well, well, what is this school doing? Or what does the division recommend? But it's really important that it's contextual. And it also, one of the things that's really important why we develop it locally is that it honors and gives credit to the great things that teachers are doing. Um, and some of the best teachers when you ask them what they do, they often don't, they can't, or they do, they do list a long list of things, but they, it's just habit to them. So, but it's getting them to explain it and verbalize it, that it's, it's reassuring to them that they're doing a hundred excellent things, best practices every day that they, they don't even need to think about it anymore because they're master teachers. You talk about collaborative response and Chris, you make it sound easy and your understanding of it and the, the notion of context is, is fabulous, but I imagine there have been some challenges in the process. Tell me a little bit about them. Um, so there's been different challenges depending on the context. So like I said, it, at Hillcrest, the K-9, it was embedding time. At Innisville High, the first barrier, um, like I said, but I didn't talk about how I really solved it, was team composition. So I really wanted to make the most effective teams possible. Uh, this was really important to me. 
I, th I had a few different thoughts. So for example, I first thought about doing department teams, putting all the English people or all the social math science together, option teachers together. I thought about that and that's not a bad way to do it. Um, I thought about doing homeroom grade level. So we have advisories. So every teacher has a different group um, by grade level. So I thought about doing that as well. I thought about doing it by personality types, friends, not friends, people I know get along. Um, I also thought about just pulling names out of a hat and doing it randomly. And that was one of my, that was my second last thought because I felt kind of stuck. What I really decided on, um, and the other things I mentioned, there's pros and cons to it. There's nothing wrong with, with those approaches. They, they can work, but I just, I felt like there might've been a different way for me to approach teams. So what I finally decided on was to use something called, that I call student overlap. So basically I looked at each student's schedule and yeah, this did take a lot of time initially and populated a matrix um, that every time two teachers taught the same student, I basically gave them a tick in their box. By the end of looking at all 300 students, I was, I was able to see which teachers taught a lot of the same students. And that was the rationale I used um, to build teams. So what I said to staff is you're on the same team because you have the most students in common. You have the most student overlap. And that made sense to staff and it made sense to me. And that rationale, not that staff were going to argue, but um, it just made sense to everybody. One of the things, one of the reasons why I was so adamant about this idea was that it removed that one, um, that one degree of separation that a teacher could have from a student. So I wanted to avoid teachers saying, oh, I don't teach them, so I'm not really sure. Or I, I don't teach them this semester, so I didn't want teachers to opt out. Now in time, I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but in time, teachers don't do that, but I wanted to make sure initially during the implementation that um, this wasn't really an option for them. So I think it was beneficial to start that way. Like I said, the matrix, matrix took me a while to do, um, but luckily, um, like you said, the tech department at Chinook's Edge is, is really good. And that overlap matrix, they're actually able to, to make that for me as well. Instead of me doing this manually, um, they can populate this by semester and by year. So every semester I can see the different overlap between, between teachers. The other thing that I showed staff to make sure that, um, to reassure them that even though you're on a team with someone who you don't typically interact with on staff, because there's 18 of us, I showed them the video about how Google made their, their perfect teams. Um, and I, the, the first time I saw this, Curtis showed it at one of his PD sessions in Red Deer. Um, it just basically explains how that psychological safety is the most important thing in establishing norms and treating people with respect. That's the most important thing in a team, not that you teach the same subject. So for example, we have our math teacher, our senior math teacher on the same team as our shop teacher. And it's actually quite, um, quite a powerful pairing of staff because they have different approaches and different relationships with different kids. And they're able to, to use that to the benefit of, of the student and to each other. So it was, it took a lot of time, but um, it definitely, I think it paid off. So you mentioned the tech team is able to populate by semester and by year. Do your teams switch up then at semester break and, and whatnot, or do they stay together for the whole school year? So that's, that's a good question because I have had people ask me that before on different administrators or um, like at a conference, for example. So the answer is that in, in February, um, I don't actually switch up my teams. I don't look at the new overlap. I do look at it, but I, I don't switch up the teams. And the reason is, is because by February, staff are really good at not opting out of a conversation. 
they know by now that, that they can have a conversation about any student in the school because they're teachers and they can all make recommendations based on the key issue that's, that's raised. So again, throughout that collaborative team meeting process and norms, there's a big focus on key issues and not so much on that one student or those two students. Yeah, we talk about maybe five or 10 students that have the same key issue, but any teacher in any school in the province can likely make a recommendation on a key issue. It doesn't matter if you know the student or not. It definitely helps, which is why I started that way. But by the time February rolls around, I don't want to disrupt the effective and comfortable teams we already have. At that point, if I did switch up the teams, I think we'd actually be taking a step back and it would be counterintuitive because the teams are already so productive by that point. So then year upon year, do the teams change? Year upon year, the teams change. So every September, um, I look at the overlap and I, I change the team. So sometimes teachers end up on the same teams and um, sometimes they don't. It's also important um, we change it year to year because sometimes we have a lot of staff turnover and sometimes we don't. So this year we have we had three new teachers. So um, it was important to do that overlap again to make sure that that rationale was was still present. So you've talked a little bit about the the challenges of getting the effective groups together. How about the challenge of having effective meetings? Yep. So that was one of, um, aside from creating teams, one of the initial challenges, like you just said, was to make sure that teachers didn't feel like, oh, great, we have a new vice principal. He's going to ask us to do one, one more meeting. Um, so before I implemented Sierra Cloud Response at Innisfil High, I spent a lot of time and I actually talked to every single teacher about what um, PLCs, so professional learning communities, look like in the past at Innisfil High. Um, because when I first arrived, they, they didn't, we had staff meetings, but there wasn't a time or a place for teachers to, to meet and, and discuss and collaborate. So I asked about what it looked like in the past, what, what was good about it, what they didn't like about it, and why, why did they go away? Um, so listening to staff, I used what they said to me, um, like I took their feedback and basically what they were saying, it was, it was perfect because it, what CRM is, what collaborative response is, um, was fitting what they were telling me. So I made sure to listen to everything they were saying. And then one of the key things I did is I think I moved pretty slowly. So like I said, I first introduced the meetings, the rationale behind that. We got into the meetings, people, people started to feel like, this isn't just one more meeting. There's, there's norms, there's an agenda. Chris is going to hold us accountable to the agenda. Um, so one thing I like to tell people is that making the norms is important. What's more important to, than that is what does it look like when a team member doesn't follow the norm? Because that's when it can sometimes get uncomfortable, but if everybody knows what that looks like and what to expect, then um, it's pretty smooth and it can be pretty smooth. So you, I think that's important. Um, so, once they got into the routine of meetings, then, uh, like I said, I introduced the team of supports that made the meetings even more effective. And then once we introduced data and evidence, the three of those things working in unison made the meetings even more effective. So I did show them the big picture at the start, um, but gave them it gave them piece by piece so that it wasn't overwhelming. So I think um, moving slow to go fast was uh, kind of the, the motto I used when I implemented it. So you've talked a little bit about getting the teachers to not feel like the new vice principal was coming in and making changes. What about the rest of the community? Yeah, so that was an important part too. So um, during school council, 
talking to the, the parents on school council um, and the trustee would be involved in that meeting as well, explaining what collaborative response is um, to them and the rationale behind it. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that the community knew about it is that during our flex time, once a month, certain teachers weren't available. So every week there wasn't a teacher available to students. Um, and I wanted to make sure that the community understood the why and that they weren't just getting an extra prep um, and that the work we were doing was to benefit the students and to, to meet the needs of the diverse needs of, of the community. So I first started talking to them about it, I think when I started and, and now um, the parents are using some of the language that the staff use, some of the collaborative response language and the trustee is fully behind it. And I think they have a, an understanding of, of the importance of giving teachers time to have these important conversations. As a teacher, I could feel the rewards of having embedded collaborative time. I didn't have to find it on my own. The community is starting to see the rewards. How about the school now? What have been some of the rewards of implementing collaborative response? So I think the first thing that's, there's, a, there's, there's definitely a lot of rewards, but I think the first thing that's most evident that um, people see right away is that it builds teacher capacity. Um, and right after that, it, it improves things for students. So for example, I've had times where we've had a collaborative team meeting, a teacher will recommend something to another teacher. That teacher says, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that this afternoon. And then by the end of the day, they're in my office saying, yeah, I did that. Students bought into it. It worked. So within an afternoon, within four hours, we have change happening. So teacher capacity being built, change happening for students, and then students seeing more success as a result. It doesn't always happen that quickly. Sometimes it takes a couple of weeks to see that, to make that change and then to actually see the benefit for students depending on the course. Um, but the change does happen. So I think teacher capacity and then shortly after success for students or a change for students, um, that's that's pretty immediate. That that happens pretty quick. Um, one thing though, and I don't know, I don't know how to word this, but I, when I talk to people about this, when I talk to division office staff about this, I call it like a, a byproduct of collaborative response. This wasn't what I initially, when I first learned about it that day, Curtis in, in Fort Vermillion talked to me about it. I didn't think, oh, this is going to be great for instructional leadership. Um, but throughout the process, I've learned that collaborative response is an excellent way um, to, for leaders from a leadership perspective to approach instructional leadership. So it's really good for, for that and for a lot of the other things that are on the leadership quality standards. So like I said, when I first thought about collaborative response, I wasn't like, oh, this is gonna be great um, from a leadership perspective, but having done it now for this is my fifth year, um, I definitely see like being involved in meetings, listening to the concerns teachers have, learning more about students, allowing that allows me to see themes throughout the school, things that may need to change, things we need to do better at, things we need to do differently. Um, so I think sitting in those meetings alongside teachers um, lets me stay in tune with what's going on in the school. And it also, I learn a lot from it. I learn like my teaching practice has changed and I'm also able to share my own ideas um, within a meeting rather than a sit down in the office type thing. You mentioned your teaching practice has changed. I just want to clarify here, Chris. As a vice principal in the high school, do you have a teaching assignment? I do. So I teach, um, usually teach one class every semester. Um, and this semester I'm teaching bio 30. 
so yeah, listening to some of the teachers, especially some of the diploma teachers, um, listening to some of the things they do from a planning perspective, from a formative assessment perspective, a bunch of different things. Some of my some of my practices have definitely changed, and I think it's it's benefited students. So basically, for my first year at Innisfil three years ago, um, it's my third time teaching Bio Thirty at this high school. Um, I think that my teaching practice has improved in that that relatively short amount of time, thanks to the help of the other teachers at my school. In the circumstances of COVID-19, how has collaborative response had to pivot within your school? So initially in March, um, when schools moved to online, the, one of the first things that we did is we, we actually took a pause from our collaborative team meetings. Um, and when I think about that, I still wonder if that was the best thing to do right away. Um, and I could rationalize to myself that, yeah, it was, or, or no, it wasn't. Um, I think what we did still supported teachers in a collaborative way. So we paused the meetings because I wanted to give teachers time to figure out this new learning landscape, because as everybody knows, it was a quick pivot and we were expected to um, continue moving learning forward. And I think our teachers did that and they did an excellent job of that, but I just, I wanted to make sure they had time. So the reason why I'm, I wonder sometimes if that was the right thing to do, because I do think the collaborative team meetings would have been an excellent time to talk about some of those online learning supports that that they were all figuring out as they as they were moving through the new environment. But what we did do, um, and we, we quickly shifted to weekly staff meetings. So instead of having our team meetings, we had weekly staff meetings with everybody there. And that became our platform to, as a whole staff, share, hey, I started using Edpuzzle. I started using Screencastify. This is how you make a quiz with Google Form. Um, all that kind of stuff was shared instead of just at team meetings, it was shared with all staff. So we actually had a time within our staff meeting to talk about online supports, strategies, accommodations, how are we going to do, how are we going to provide kids with readers um, through the online platform? Oh, let's use MicNote as a whole staff. Let's learn how to use MicNote to record um, questions for exams and tests and stuff like that. So we did have collaborative team meetings. It just didn't follow our typical um, structure that we'd had previously. At times though, I did have staff reach out and this was excellent to see. It really um, reassured me that staff were engaged in collaborative response. So throughout March to June, I had staff reach out and say, hey, can we have a, a collaborative team meeting? And, and we did do that. So we, we pulled together different staff members who were experiencing the same issues um, and we tackled it that way. So it was as a, on an as needed basis. And it also was kind of happening weekly embedded into our, our staff meeting. So, if I were to change it, um, I think I probably still would have kept the collaborative team meetings, um, but I still think we 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 still accomplished the goal of meeting the needs of online learners. And one of the things I try and do, and it goes back to what I was saying about embedding time in the in the schedule, is that um, the gift of time is probably one of the the best things I have found that I can give to teachers. So that's what I was trying to do during that during March to June. So because they were busy, busier than ever. And, and they still are now that we're, the high school is back online, so. Talk a little bit now. So you went through March to June. What has September to December looked like with the various announcements and how, how have you responded? So the way we've responded to from September with like the changing announcements throughout um, this semester is specifically with collaborative response, we've, we've been trying to operate um, business as usual. So although 
everything is kind of changing around us. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We might be online tomorrow. Um, half of us might be online tomorrow. We, we are having our collaborative team meetings and we were doing them sometimes through Google Meet, sometimes spread out in the staff room. So we could all look at the same, the same data sheet. Um, so we were doing it as business as usual. What we did for this week right now, or the week since we've been online, is we have, um, again, just put a quick halt to some of our team meetings as teachers are figuring out again how to accommodate students online. But when we start up again in the new year, teachers are anticipating that we are going to um, continue our collaborative team meetings. So we have them once a month. So we've only really missed, um, we're only probably gonna miss two and we're, we've already rescheduled them to happen at a later date. So again, trying to give them the gift of time. Um, and the messaging from me is that collaborative response is important. It's one of the, the most important things we do at the school. Um, but the COVID-19 response right now is also important and it's, it's more urgent. Both are important, but one is more urgent than the other. So I wanted to give teachers time to maneuver through that and make sure that students, because it looks quite different than it did in March. Students are expected to be online. They're being held way more accountable. So again, giving teachers a bit more time to maneuver the landscape. Assuming that, you know, things come back to, to some place of normalcy, whatever that new normal might look like, what advice might you provide to school leaders in the high school context that are thinking collaborative response is the direction we want to go? We, we need to implement that in our school. I think just sticking on with the COVID-19 online learning piece, um, I think I am, and I think some of my staff are too, looking forward to having those, those team meetings. So I'm always, like I said a couple times already, I'm always on the fence. Like, do we keep them? Do we not? So again, in January, I would recommend that we, we do keep them um, because it is a good time to talk about the new strategies and the new supports that are needed. Um, and, and just keep in touch with your staff. If they feel like it's too much, then maybe you don't have one that month because something more urgent, like moving to online learning has happened. Um, but given no matter like what the landscape looks like, um, I think keeping in touch with your staff, talking to your staff, and if you're going to implement collaborative response for the first time, gauge their interest and gauge how or what PLCs or any type of meeting look like in the past. I, I think what I did worked out well with seeing what the pros and cons were, what people liked and didn't like, what worked and didn't work, and then using that information um, and adapting cloud response to the feedback from your staff, I think was very, was very beneficial. The other thing I would recommend, I got a lot of help from reaching out to the collaborative response community, I'll call it. So other schools, um, other administrators, the Jigsaw Learning Team, people that have done it um, before, because like I said before, every context is different, but the implementation of collaborative response from my two experiences seems to follow um, a somewhat predictable pattern. And it's helpful to know what to expect um, so, so that you can share that with staff. So whenever we try something new, there's, there's always going to be implementation dips. And that's something I talked to staff about right when I first brought up collaborative response. I made sure that they knew that the road wasn't always going to be smooth. There was going to be bumps and dips along the way. And to anticipate that and that when those do happen, communication is super important and we need to talk about it because we'll figure it out and we'll make it work. So like I said, um, the flex time figuring it, the logistics of that and who is going to cover which class, um, that was something we need to figure out as a, as a high school and we did. 
And now we plan ahead and everybody knows where they're going on a collaborative team meeting day so that um, all the students are supervised. So I think talking to other people who have done it is, is very helpful. The other thing I'd recommend, um, I mentioned the Jigsaw Learning Team, sitting down with them for, it's amazing how much you can learn in just a half an hour talking to anybody on that team. Um, they have a really good way of explaining something complex and making it just make sense, I guess is the best way I can say it. So the bang for your buck there is, is definitely useful. Um, it's amazing just sitting down with, let's use Curtis for an example, having coffee with him for half an hour um, can really make things clear for you into your next step for collaborative response. So I'd recommend that for sure. I'm sure that in the questions that have been asked that, that, that there are details that I haven't been able to prod at. So Chris, open mic time. Is there any other thoughts you have around collaborative response that you'd like to share? Like I do get this question quite a bit. It's about the student overlap thing. And I did mention it earlier. Um, going back to having strong norms and strong processes within, within your meetings is, is key. Um, even if you can't do student overlap or don't want to do st student overlap and you have department teams or um, any other team, grade level teams, if you make sure that staff understand and that staff understand that they can provide feedback and advice and recommendations on any, any student anywhere, we're all educators, so we can all share our recommendations in a professional way, I think that trumps having um, teams built with student overlap. So I think that's really important. And I've seen that. I don't change my teams um, second semester. And some of them might have hardly any overlap at all, but they can still talk about students and what's in their best interest. I think that's, that's essential to collaborative response. And so Chris, you've talked about, you know, reaching out to people that have done it and connecting and I've always had fantastic luck in sending an email and saying, hey, Chris, can we talk? Or, hey, Chris, can you share your story, please? <laughs> How would you feel if someone watched this video and wanted to reach out? What would be the best way to connect with you? So the best way would be um, to email me. Um, and yeah, definitely reach out. That's something I'm glad that you asked because that's something I always offer to people. Um, if you ever want to know more about any of the things we talked about, because when someone ever asks me, can we talk about collaborative response? I usually say to them, okay, do you have an hour? Because it's not a 10 minute conversation. It's not a 20 minute conversation. Um, there's a lot of pieces and when you, and each one of them is, is simple, but it is, a, it is, it can be complex, um, but it works. And it's a good, it's a good framework um, for any school to, to make change. So definitely reach out to me through email. Um, in the past, we've had different school teams visit the school um, to, to sit in a collaborative team meeting, to, to talk to me, to look at the data sheets. Um, so I can share any of that stuff. I'm open book, ask me anything about collaborative response. And I'm also really very willing to share um, any digital resource that I've developed or tweaked from Jigsaw Learning. So feel free to reach out. I'm sure my email will be posted along with this video somewhere. Well, Chris, thank you very much for your time because I know that in the role of an administrator that uh, there are a lot of things competing for your attention and I appreciate that you were able to make this time to share your story. Not a problem. Anytime. I was, thank you for, for having me. I appreciate it.